Well, hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. I just want to say thank you to all the guys that work today, man. You guys are awesome. Really awesome. So, let's all stand as we bring our prayers and praises to the Lord and Son.
ourselves in trouble, we can run to him. Anytime that we find ourselves wanting to celebrate, we can run to him. He loves us. He is our refuge and our strength. Amen. Amen. So let's praise him tonight.
your love, O oh Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness stretches to the sky. Tell him. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice flows like the ocean side. Let's lift our voice. And I will lift my voice to worship you, my King. And I will Oh, 
your tabernacle. Glory to the Lord on high, God of wonders beyond our galaxy. You are holy, holy. The universe declares your majesty. You are Hallelujah to the Lord of heaven and 
my 
grace, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Oh, Lord. 
come before you, Lord, and we just want to thank you. You're so immense. You've created such complicated things, Lord, and yet you choose to include us into your, into your ministry, into your, into your business, into your mission, Lord. We just want to thank you for your grace in doing so. Lord, I pray in the privacy of our personal priesthood right now that we would come to you and we would just ask for forgiveness if it's needed, that we may lay down any burden of sin so that the word can hit our soul and spirit the way it needs to, Lord, unencumbered and unhindered. I just thank you so much for this place. I pray that you bless this place and all the, all the men associated with it. And by proxy, their families, we stand in for our families tonight. Whether we're talking to them or not, Lord, just ask that you'd reach out and touch them and lead them to yourself. We just thank you. We agree upon these things. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's men said, Amen. 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 Before we're seated and before we bring up the person who's going to be leading us in prayer today, uh, if God has brought you through a week in a mighty way, in a casual way, either way, you're still standing here. Before we move on to the next part of this service, can we just give God a shout of praise and gratitude for what he has brought us through? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your great grace. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for all you do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Hallelujah. The next, uh, it is, it's a privilege to watch everybody grow and blossom as they're doing in this church. I said I was going to behave and I already lost my voice. <laughs> That's a good thing. That's all right. It's a sacrifice. Um, but as we move on in the prayer, I urge you that whatever prayer requests that you hear uttered in this room today and praise reports, that you take them with you. As the week goes, as the Holy Spirit shows you something, brings something across to your face, don't discount it. Say a silent prayer. Say a loud prayer. But say a prayer. Use the privilege that we have, that we have an audience with the Father, to lay not only our burdens, our concerns, our petitions, but also we can just go and say, Lord, this is how I'm feeling. This is what's going on. Or, Lord, I just need to be in your presence. And I need to just hear from you. Let's take advantage of the privilege that has been given to us. And let's welcome our brother Ray as he comes to lead us in a time of prayer. Hallelujah, a diagnosis. 
we've been diagnosed. Thank God we've been saved. Amen. Through the blood and the name of Jesus. Amen. Of Job's problem. We know we got problems. Can the church say amen? amen. <laughs> Can the church say amen? amen. <laughs> in the end, Job acknowledges the sovereignty of God in his life and receives back more than he had before his trials. His name in Hebrew as well as in Aramaic, it means persecution or repentant one. We've been persecuted rightfully so for the crimes we committed. Thank God it humbled us so that we could repent. Aren't we grateful that we have a forgiving father who sent his presence into the earth to say, if you just believe in him, you shall have everlasting life. I ain't going to make this into a preacher's sermon. So I just wanted to give that to you. Give that to you to think about. So does anyone have a praise report? Anyone in the room? I know God has been good to somebody. Let's go to the throne in prayer. Let's go boldly. Father, we thank you for this hour and this time. We thank you for the word that you provided through the opening of the book of Job and touching people um, with these words. These are your words, inspired by you, written by men, so that we know that no matter what is going on, that death has no sting. We are experiencing a great deal of pain and hardship through people who have sickness and disease. We are also dealing with people who are in a battle of faith, in you, a battle of if you're even real. So we continue that we trust in you, that you have poured your Holy Spirit in us. We are your messengers. We are your deliverers. We are the, what, the vessels that are used to go to our loved ones, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, wherever we may be in that moment and know that you have given us the strength, the bravery, and the courage to speak your truth in Jesus. He is the master. He is the way. And the fight is yours. The battle is not ours. We're just to give it with love and affection, to be kind. Those nine fruits of the Spirit, let us operate in them daily because we know that you've done it for us every day, past, present, and future, for you change not. So each person that has opened up their heart and opened up their mouth unto you in this space, you heard it. It did not go unheard. And you've already answered it. We're just simply walking into it. So keep impacting Brother James as he talks to those who are in his presence. That soft, gentle tone that you've given him. Not to become, better yet, to become more like Jesus. So that the more of him <coughs> pours out around those he loves, and he'll see the transformation. But even if he doesn't, for he is saved and delivered, and he's done the good work. That is something that is for all of us in this space that you've told us to do directly. Continue to do the good work in which we were saved to do that powerful word saved, save a soul, increase the kingdom. Watch over Blake as he continues in his professional endeavor. Keep him healthy, keep him strong. Keep Larry encouraged to continue to show up, not just this one time, but to continue to show up to let him know that he is a, a whole family of people. Though he can't remember our names, <laughs> phrase, phrase them, but that we are here for him. Continue to watch over Sister Deb and Brother Steve as they orchestrate in this ministry all the different tasks that they have before them. It can be daunting, but with you, all things are possible. All things are possible with you, God. There is no failure in you, nothing but success. So we thank you for the joy you poured into our heart, and we thank you for your love and compassion. And continue to watch over and pour into the insight that we need from the pastor, Sekou as he spreads your word with the energy and the vibrant power of the Spirit to move us, to shake us, to get us to come before you humbly, 
and then do, again, the good work that you're speaking to us to do. It's for you. It's for you. So in the name of Jesus, we say thank you, and to glory be unto you. In the name of Jesus, amen? Amen. 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 I don't know what happened, but uh, yeah, voice is gone. <laughs> Praise God, we need to do that more often. Um, before we move on, um, first and foremost, here we are. It is the last uh, Saturday of the month, and so we will be having a guest speaker. Um, and it's, again, whatever God is doing in the midst of this place, I urge you to step into it and be a part of it take advantage of it, walk in it, allow God to work in your life. Not everybody is going to be doing the same thing, but God is wanting to work mightily in the lives of the people who present themselves here. And so I urge you, don't sit and think this doesn't count for you, or you're on the sides, you're on the edges, you're not like Mike, or Mike, or Steve, or Steve, or Steve. Uh, <laughs> you're not like Kevin and Kevin. Mark, Mark is everybody, but you're, 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 you're you. You're who God created, and he created you for a reason. Warts and all, all of the background, all of the things you've been through, all of the different things that make you you, quirky or not, dry sense of humor, goofy sense of humor, a sense of humor we're still trying to figure out. Either way, God made you who you are for a reason and brought all of us together for a reason. So by all means, as we all learn to grow and walk in faith and operate in the power that God has given us, let's all do that together in the capacity that God gave us and encourage the others to do the same. Would you give our brother Mark a, a round of applause as he comes forward to bring the word of God today? The last time that I used this, I came to the conclusion that I sounded like Darth Vader. <laughs> I turned the game, game down. And if, and if you listen to the, it, it, trust me, if you had listened to when out, out beyond, it sounded like Darth Vader was giving the message. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty bad. And so I, I talked to Kevin about it and I said, Kevin, if that starts happening, you need to say something. Immediately, because it, it really is bad. I mean, it really was distracting. Ah, well, that, that's out of the way. Ah, let's see, I have something else I think I need to turn on, too, if I remember how to do that. Ah. So we're going to try some technology tonight that is, it's not new technology, but it's new to me. Obviously. Yes. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's really good to be with brothers and tonight sister <laughs> um, because when we're together and we're in unity it shows a certain something to the world beyond it's a testimony of God's grace and his blessings that he bestows upon his flock <coughs> and today the lesson is called to dwell in truth Called to dwell in truth. There it is. Okay. And we've been reminded of how blessed it is that our fellowship 
dwells in unity. Sekou has brought that up multiple times. Larry, you're going to get to see it a little bit. But where unity is, there's something else. You see, there is a deceiver who desires to destroy through devious deception. Wherever there's unity, there's someone who comes along who says, I'm going to fix that. Okay. And there are many examples of deception that we should be able to relate to. Genesis records, records the first deception, and we still live with its consequences today. I think I've done something wrong, but I can't tell. Not so long. <laughs> um, not long ago, back in the bad old, good old days, there was an example of how deception destroys. And before a number of us were even born, there were some folks who attended the People's Temple Full Gospel Church, led by a super charismatic leader. And there were thousands of people who attended this church in multiple locations. It started back in 1955 in Indianapolis, and it wound up in San Francisco, California. Eventually, their leader felt that God was calling them to move away from the bad and start a utopian paradise in the jungles of South America. Let's see here. I think I've skipped something here. Nope, that's the wrong one. Click. Those are two takeaways. Dwelling in the truth sets you free while dabbling in deception and slaves. And you want to be free? Rejects deception and dwell in the truth. Amen. So, he said, you know, we need, to, we need to escape from the bondage of what's going on around here. We need to go out and we're going to settle in the jungles of South America. And we're going to have an agricultural commune and we're going to glorify God down there. And it was, I mean, this guy was a straight up fire and brimstone, charismatic type of dude. And some of you may have heard this guy's name. If you haven't guessed who it is, it was a guy named Jim Jones. And if you haven't heard the story of the People's Temple, it's one of many stories that confirm God's <coughs> wisdom in giving us the scriptures and the terrible cost that's incurred for not following his instructions. You see, the long and the short of it is that Jim Jones abandoned God's truths a long time, if he ever had him, he abandoned him a long time before and replaced him with his own ideas. The folks that followed him also did not obey the Lord's revealed instructions and do their due diligence. Instead, they followed him into the jungle. And when a United States congressman came knocking in the jungle's door to investigate reported kidnappings, Jim Jones decided that the terrible world was bringing itself to paradise and could not be redeemed. So he ordered the security staff to break out the Kool-Aid. You've heard that term, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Well, it came from this incident. He ordered everyone to drink it. He ordered parents to feed it to their children. 
And those who would not comply were shot. That day in 1978, some 900 people died. Jim Jones and his followers imbibed destruction. But it was only the final destruction. They had been imbibing destructive thoughts and ideas for years. Suicide, mayhem, and murder. They were all a reward for following our soul's enemies. Sadly, there were many evidences that preceded this awful tragedy. While charismatic, he was also a controller. Either you obey him and follow him totally, or there would be consequences. <coughs> Jim Jones was also a sexual predator. He required sexual favors from women in his flock, and he raped several of his male followers. This went on for years while he was the flock's leader. Believers, Jim Jones is only one example of what happens when we are led astray. We could examine many more, all of which illustrate God's wisdom in giving us his word and the command, the commands to know and follow it. Tonight, we're going to look into 2 Peter to see how Peter, one of the dynamic dozen, was inspired by the Spirit to admonish us to dwell in and on the truth. So let's orient ourselves to this epistle. It was written by the Apostle Peter. Let's see if this works. Okay, introduction. And Peter was an eyewitness. There, Peter's an eyewitness. Of all the things that happened with Jesus. And he was a man whose denial of knowing Jesus is laid out clearly for us in the Gospels. Long after that initial denial, Jesus asks him three times. What's he asking him? Do you love me? Starting as an unlearned fisherman, Peter went on to become one of the main leaders of the church in Jerusalem. He had been transformed by the gospel, transformed by his acceptance of and following Christ. This letter is written to believers. That's what we see in the very first chapter. And it was penned as he awaited execution in Rome for being a Christian. The Roman Emperor Nero thought himself to be all-powerful and worthy of worship. He didn't like competition from the likes of Jesus, whom believers worshipped and Peter proclaimed. Second Peter could be considered his legacy letter, written to carry on after he departed this world. Think about this. Jesus asked Peter if he loved him and charged him with specific tasks. Tend my lambs. Shepherd my sheep. Tend my sheep. Peter, and, Peter had undertaken these charges for the flock in Jerusalem, and when asked from afar, he tended the flock that was scattered. 
Now, at the end of his life, he considers how he will love God's flock of chosen and redeemed ones when he's no longer present. This letter, therefore, is what God laid upon his servant to reveal to the flock for the ages to come. It is a distillation of God's wisdom for the church until Christ comes again. So what's Peter's main point? God's transforming grace is what enables a man to live righteously. Peter's counterpoint is that false teaching eviscerates a man's ability to live righteously. This supposedly simple fisherman presents some profound theology in this little letter. Now, I know the word theology is a bad word, but the truths about God and his... the truths about... God and how he reveals it to us through his word is really the only theology that we need. It doesn't come from the frozen chosen or from those presenting the latest enlightened enigmas passed down from pushy preferred pedantic puzzle palaces. We're not going to obsess with theology today, but we do need to understand that Peter's understanding of who Jesus is and what he did through grace is central to the Christian faith. You're still puzzling over what all those words are. <laughs> it frames everything Peter did, including dying in the proclamation of Christ. That's the theology that we need to focus on. It's really the only theology that we need to focus on. Peter also reflects on several biblical narratives to illustrate his points. So, we should know the ideas he presents are not new. Since God does not change, this shouldn't surprise us. We should also know that the enemy of our souls and his goals also have not changed. He has a limited playbook and he uses it often. There is, after all, nothing new under the sun. With that, let's, let's uh, stand and read what God impressed upon Peter. And we're going to start in 1.16 and go through the end of chapter 2. And it's going to be up here. I think, I hope. Okay. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. 
For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce you to destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the pits of darkness, reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the righteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels, who are greater in might and power, do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed, suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. Having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own transgression. For a mute donkey, speaking with a voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. These are springs without water and mist driven by a storm, for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For, bo for by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For if it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. 
It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. Praise God for his word. Amen. Let's be seated. Well, there's, there's a lot to consider here. And I've boiled it down to five D's and T's. <coughs> Literally, the five, five D's and T's. Discovering the tale's debut, deadening delusions, debauch, tale deciders, discerning truth from tale, disciples are delivered from degeneracy by deciding on truth, and the delights of dwelling in truth, D's and T's. That being said, let's take a look at how Peter starts this section. And we need to discover how the tale started, meaning where did it come from and what tale <coughs> is Peter talking about? Peter starts by proclaiming a central truth using an opposing thought. We did not follow cleverly designed tales. Y'all know what a tale is. It's a fable or a myth. It's an untruth. Rather than dealing in untruths, Peter affirms to believers the truths the apostles proclaimed. They preached Christ, crucified, buried, and resurrected. And there's power beyond human comprehension in that truth. Peter is not speaking of others' testimony. He's speaking of his own. He was an eyewitness to all of it. And he refers, here, he refers to hearing God declare who Jesus is. Now, some might argue that Peter is just trying to get some of Christ's power by association, what we call referent power. But that argument makes no sense. You see, Peter is about to be martyred for his faith in Christ. If he hadn't seen and hadn't been in Christ's presence and seen Christ's power over creation, i.e. walking on the water, he would have absolutely no reason to claim it now. In fact, he would have every, had every reason to deny Christ, just as he had done in that courtyard so many years earlier. It would have saved his earthly existence. So this letter testifies to Peter and his love of Christ's bride, the church. This letter demonstrates Peter tending to Christ's lamb and sheep. Take a moment to think about what, are, what Peter has in mind when he refers to cleverly designed tales. In just a few sentences, Peter references tales, false prophets, false words, fallen angels, and false leader teachers. That's a lot of false. Why is his emphasis on the negative? I mean, John, are we supposed to emphasize the negative when we talk to people? No, that's not what they teach in school. Emphasize the positive, the positive, the positive. After all, 
You see, he's about to depart into glory. Why not just accentuate the positive instead of mentioning all this bad stuff? I want you to think about that for a moment. What was the original tale and where did it debut or start? Hint, Seku loves this chapter. <laughs> huh? Genesis. It's in Genesis. Yep, Genesis chapter 3. The original tale was told by the serpent in the garden. His tale began, did God really say? The beginning of the tale was cleverly devised deceit. And Peter knows the tale's originator and the destruction that it brings. Believers, we need to be really clear on the origin and originator of cleverly devised tales. In Scripture, how often do you think that we are warned about cleverly devised tales and those who bring them? You know, that's been one of the things that has surprised me as I studied for this, but in the past also. This starts in the New Testament with Jesus and warning us. You remember him saying things like, beware those who, but I say to you, and then there's Paul in Romans chapter 1. Let's not forget Jude's letter. Oh, it's in there too. And then there's Paul's letter to Titus. And John goes after it in First and Second John. Oh, and, and then there's Revelation. It's in there too. And what about the warnings in Corinthians and Colossians and Timothy? You know, believers, there's a repetitive theme in the New Testament warning us to be on the lookout for tales and tale bearers, especially ones that crop up in our midst, like Jim Jones. There's a reason for this. The first is that deceitful tales are common, and the second is God delights to protect his children. And so when you see it repeated over and over and over again, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing with this, you should, you should take note of it. If somebody tells you once, okay, that's good, twice, but 10, 15 times, over and over again, different authors, different places, different groups of people, it's, it, it's like somebody coming up and smacking your face, you know? Just pay attention to this. Don't forget this. Thus, Peter contrasts the tale with the truth. He dwells on the reality of Christ's life, reminding us that true prophets don't make up their own stuff. In fact, they don't even interpret it. They don't change God's meaning so that it helps them make their own case. In fact, God has some pretty good tests to determine if a prophet was true or not, if you go back to the Old Testament. And if the prophet wasn't being true, well, let's just say that it was a serious offense, and he took, he took offense to it, and he said, Hey, Israelites, take the false prophets out. Get rid of them. You might recall a little incident up on Mount Oreb with 
400 prophets of a false, you know, and they went up there and they were, they were yelling and screaming and they were hitting themselves and doing their religious stuff. And uh, what did Elijah say at the very end of that? Take them out. The prophets were taken out. God considers that false prophecy a, a crime against him, an offense against him. Don't be doing that. And then there's Jonah. Uh, he would have loved taking a different message to Nineveh because he didn't want God's grace to be manifest among Israel's enemy. So he ran away. He didn't change the message, but he did run away. Balaam, on the other hand, decided deceit was preferable as it was personally profitable. The problem was that God took offense at him changing God's truth into a lie and a donkey made that clear. Believers, dabbling in deceit is destructive, not only for the deceiver, but also the deceived. Most of us, if, if we're honest, can testify to that. Just as the garden's tale led to death, so too today's tales, we have we have tales today which deaden us, they create delusions, and they debauch those deciding to opt into them. I think it goes here. Yeah, there's all those words. Debauch. Debauch is an old school word, and it means to destroy, to debase the moral purity of, or to corrupt. So the tales that Peter refers to are not just stories that entertain us. Instead, these tales have a purpose, and it's to introduce destructive ideas into society, and specifically the church. You might remember something that Paul said to Timothy, and it's something that the church is the pillar and support of the truth. Guess who knows that? Our adversary, the enemy. And so where do you think he's going to, if you're going to bring down a building, you know, structural engineer, he goes up to the building and says, oh, this is a good building. It's nice and strong. How am I going to take this building down? And he studies the building, steps back there, and he goes, oh, well, let's see here. I'll put a little charge here, and I'll put a little charge here, and I'll put a little charge here, and then I'm going to press the button, and the whole building just implodes on itself. Hey, he's been, he's been calculating, our enemy has been calculating how to do that to the church since he fell. And we need to be aware of what he's up to. Amen. If you really want a fun read, go read the screw tape letters. It'll get you. It'll give you some, some clever ideas about how he does that. I want to share with you. That a few weeks ago, one of the ladies that helps with my mom, she said something to me. She, she said, you know, the changes in the social mores in America have really been rapid since the 90s. She's a younger gal. And, and she was referring to some of the current hot button topics that we hear about from time to time. And, and I don't know if she professes to be a believer or not, but 
she takes offense at having all these <coughs> new values thrust upon her and her kids. Peter lays out several examples from the Old Testament, the times of Noah, Sodom and Gomorrah, and Balaam. And each is a reminder of how societies and God's people violated his instructions and commandments and then suffered catastrophic consequences for doing so. Play back in your mind what the narratives of Noah, Sodom and Gomorrah, and Balaam refer to. I would submit to you that our society today is playing with those same things. The same things. And in fact, there are age-old deceptions. And the church has also become a battleground because it's been deadened to them. If you engage any contemporary television or news or books or movies, radio, or just talk to folks in the public sphere, you can't help be, but be introduced to a myriad of these tales. See, the enemy of our souls desires to confuse cor and corrupt our thinking so that we cannot give an account for what God has actually said. Our culture now would have us believe that male and female are just abstract ideas. That stuff satisfies our most intense desires. That revenge is good when the victimization reaches a certain point. <clears throat> that sexual mores are for the past. Today, love can justify any sexual appetite, including the love of pleasure. Our culture would have us believe that God is a figment of our imagination and that man is capable of defining what is good and bad. The idea that those who trust in God and his revealed word and desire to walk in his ways are really a threat to a civil society and are intolerant promoters of hate. It is common for us to encounter the idea that violence is justified if a person is bad. We routinely hear about science being the impartial arbiter of truth and how education is what transforms us. Left out of all of these is what has God said? Each of these ideas has an air of did God really say? Who's God? And they are influencing those inside and outside the body of Christ. Just last night, I spoke with a dear friend. He called about 8.30 last night, and he's, and he's been asking for prayer for about a month now because one of his friends is someone that is a pastor of a big church. In fact, it's a church his daughter goes to, and he's a senior pastor of this church. And my friend feels compelled to talk to him because it seems that this man is teaching that a number of sexual sins that God, by his repeated commandments, instructions, rebukes, and examples, are not worthy of stating are true. 
he opposes them. And he says, we need to accept them because things are different now. We live in transformed, and, and the church denomination that we belong to, they have accepted these things, and so we need to get with the program, and we need to step on board, and we need to show God's love to everyone. And my, my, my friend is heartbroken. This is a friend. This is, this is where his daughter and their children go to church. And we talked about Second Peter, and he said it just... It's right down the line of what's going on in this church. This was a stark reminder that God knew how easily each of us can be deceived. Hitler's propagandist, Joseph Goebbels, strategized that if you repeat an untruth often enough, people will believe it's true. And we see that going on in our culture and in many churches today in America. And if we don't watch out, we'll see it going on in us as well. God knows what the consequences to deciding to adopt these deadly and deceitful delusions are. If you go to Romans chapter 1, it lists some of them. When you look at the news... They have news of shootings and suicides and riots and depressions and verbal and physical attacks on any number of people. There's bullying and the rejection of people because of their race. There's looting, their acceptance and promotion. Of, it's just full of garbage. The acceptance and promotion of untruths furthers an agenda. And when you see all that stuff going on, Think about in the days of Noah. Because when you reject God, when you reject his ability to give proper instructions, all sorts of destructions follow. Believers, these tales deaden our relationship with God and with one another. They corrupt our thinking. They corrupt our moral purity and lead to destruction of ourselves, our churches, and our communities. Deceit first hardens our hearts so that we decide it would be okay to indulge a little sin. After all, God is a forgiving God. And I'm going to tell you that that statement is a delusional statement because what shall we say then? Shall we sin all the more that grace might abound? We, as believers, are just as capable of being deceived as anyone else. God knew that, and that's why God gave us the scripture, and that's why God gave this to Peter was because he knew that we needed this instruction. But this is no time to despair. You see, none of these things surprised our omniscient God. That's why Peter, James, John, Paul, and Jesus warned us what to look for, out of love. He allowed us to discover the tales start, 
And the detailed, he detailed the deadening that occurs for those who decide to entertain the talebearers' delusions. And so thankfully, God did not abandon us to our own thinking, but gave wisdom and instruction so that we would have the ability to discern truth from tale. Here, Peter gives some, uh, he drives home a primary idea on how to dis discern truth from tale. It's there in verses 20 and 21. When God proclaims something is true, we have scripture as God's revealed truths to guide us. It accounts for a number of interactions that God has chosen to instruct us on, who he is and what he purposes for his creation. And the entire Bible, this entire Bible testifies about him. It, it leads us on a journey from rebellion to renewal, to rebellion, to renewal, to redemption, and it winds up with Jesus, right? And then we find stories of rebellion and renewal and rebellion and renewal, and ultimately we have hope because in the end, God knows what's, where things are going and he has chosen to redeem a holy people. And we see him in Revelation with their hands and their voices raised, proclaiming, hallelujah. Amen? <clears throat> Our Bible is filled with instructions on commands. It gives examples of doing right and doing wrong. It reveals the grace of God by ascending Jesus to seek and save those who, he, who did not deserve it but whom were chosen before the foundation of the world. It shows that God uses even suffering to bring glory to him. It shows us our only true source of hope. Now, this may seem obvious, but too many are oblivious to the truths revealed in Scripture. How many of the folks attending the people's church read God's word and sought God's face, begging for wisdom and discernment. Apparently not a lot. You see, our Bibles, they, they, they fill our churches, they fill our houses. But how many of us spend the time to read it and meditate on what God is speaking to us through it? Remember, no prophecy is a matter of man's interpretation or will. When someone gives an interpretation that contradicts God's revealed truth, it's time to cut bait. It's time to confront and contain the corruptors so their bad ideas don't proceed from bad to worse. Paul named a few of these fellows that were doing this. Janice, John Brees, I think were a couple of those names. There were others. Demetrius may have been another one to warn believers away from following these tales. As believers, we are responsible. It's not the pastor, it's not the founders, it's not some committee somewhere, it's believers. He gave us his word, he gave us his spirit, and he expects us, he expects us to do with it what he wills. We have a need to study God's word. 
It's not just because some Sunday school teacher said, oh, yeah, you need to, you need to, you need to study this. It's because it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be equipped for every good work and made complete. So it means not only reading it, but meditating and asking God, what does this mean? Show me, give me your wisdom. And when we find that we are entertaining ideas that are opposed to what God has given to us, we need to take his correction and replace our bad thinking with his truth. We can't try and smooch, smoosh our ideas together with his. We're going to take a lie and we're going to take a truth and we're going to push it together. For those of you who are historians, uh, a guy named Hegel... He was a contemporary of Karl Marx. He came up with that idea. And uh, it, it's called using dialectics. And you take idea A and idea B, and you push mush them together to come up with idea C, which is really good. And, it all, <coughs> and in society, and everything comes together. It's one of the founding principles of communism. It produces a lot of lies. There's a a word puzzle game that I used to play in the newspaper. And it would start with a word up here, and it would end with another word. And those two words were opposites. And in between that word and this word, they just consecutively went through about four or five different word changes where each one of those words were synonyms. So you start off with good, Good's the same as healthy, and then, you know, and then down here is bad. And so the, the whole point of that game is to show you that with a clever use of words, you can go from a meaning of a word to its complete opposite and never change the idea. It's, it's, it's amazing. I don't know who comes up with these, but they're really clever people. Light and darkness can't coexist. When the light comes, the darkness has to leave. There's no gray when it comes to truth. Discerning truth from tale begins with seeking out the truth. But it doesn't end there. There are many who spend their whole life seeking for knowledge. In fact, we're told that there are some who do this but are never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. The reason is actually quite simple they won't humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. Instead, they decide to double down on their own understanding. They still think that they are more able than angels and God himself, is basically the point that Peter's making. Pride blinds us to the truth of our true nature and our need for repentance. Abandoning pride means adopting God's view of ourselves. I'm a sinner. I'm saved by grace. I couldn't do it on my own. It means we leave the tale that we accept the delusion promoted by the original tale bearer. Did God really say? Because I'm not God. I'm not able to answer anything other than 
Yes, God said that. I trust him. I trust that what he said and will say is always true and will be for my good. And he has the last word. I trust that he has set guardrails for my benefit so that I am not harmed and I will not harm others. If we find ourselves looking for a way around what God has said because we really, really, really feel that I just want to... Okay? That's a sure sign that we have decided to try and play God and entertain the did God really say question. We don't want to obey. We want to delay. (laughs) If we find ourselves following someone who is embracing ideas contrary to Scripture and encouraging us to follow along, we need to be aware. That's like a big stop sign. Go somewhere else. God said, bad morals corrupt good character. You can trust that when God said that he will not be mocked, that that instruction is there for whose benefit? Ours, mine, the guy in the mirror. It's not for my neighbor, it's for me. I have to adopt that I'm the one that needs that help, that reminder. Scripture has another common manifestation of error. Peter mentions it in here several times. If we go back through the scripture, we're going to find it a lot. You know what it is? Sexual immorality. Peter references it here, but both the Old and New Testament are full of examples. How did uh, David kind of go from bad to worse? Hmm. Mm. Sexual sin affects the inner man and harms him in ways that other sin does not. I didn't make that up. That's a quote from Paul. It's not something to play with. The ability to discern truth from tale is a grace given by God to his children, and it leads to submission. Once we discern the truth, We're to walk in it. We're to obey God's instructions. We're not to turn to the right or to the left of it. His truth is the lamp that lightens all the paths of righteousness. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I believe that's Psalm 119, 105, I think. So... We've discovered the tale's debut, how deadening delusions debauch those deciding for the tale, and how God has provided a way for us to discern truth from tale. And now we'll look at how disciples are delivered from degeneracy by deciding the truth. Or deciding on the truth. See, we all know that salvation is what happens when we trust Christ. And it's the and that he is the only one who can reconcile us to God and satisfy God's demand to pay for our sin. We know that. There's no other payment that can fulfill God's justice other than that. As a disciple of Christ, we've been delivered from God's wrath and adopted as his sons. That's done with. 
But what about the fact that every day we're faced with a myriad of choices on how to think and act on any number of things? How do I love my neighbor who's deep in the practice of sin? How do I relate to my child who's in rebellion to God? How do I work with a coworker who is trying to seduce me? How do I forgive someone who has harmed me? How do I repent from consuming pornography or to engaging in things that are not worthy of, God, of, God, of God's children's time? How do I do that? Guess what? There's a simple answer, yet it's impossible to do in the flesh. In fact, Peter addresses it in verses 4 through 10. In verse 4, Peter starts with, If God did not spare the angels, and then he repeats the language in verse 5, did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah. Then in verse 6, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and Peter continues that in verse 7, if he rescued righteous Lot, you see the pattern. God, in real time, watched over what was happening, and he chose the course of the final actions in each one of those, right? The people's choices led to his judgment. For the angels, for the people of Noah's day, for Sodom and Gomorrah, there was destruction. For Lot, there was a rescue. Peter is providing a proof that God will not overlook bad ideas and false teachers. He gives four minor points to build up to the main point. And what's his main point? It's the simple answer. It's the one that we can forget in our pride. In verse 9, Peter says, go if, 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 and then comes the then. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under, judge, under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the flesh and its corrupt desires. The way we are delivered from the tail and its troubles is by yielding and submitting to God, to Christ. It's by replacing our thoughts with his thoughts. When we commit and, and act on that truth, he then plows a new path for us to walk on. But if we go down the, did God really say? Then we're going to act on temptation that are common to man, and we're moved, and we have moved our thinking off of God into ourselves, which portends major problems. So we've covered, we've covered all but one, and that one is dwelling in truth gives delights. We've spoke of just one of those delights, that God rescues from temptation, but there are many more. Think about the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Think about the fact that God gives to the righteous even in his sleep. Dwell on the peace that surpasses all understanding. Don't forget that God runs interference with our enemies. 
When we dwell on God's truths, beginning with God's forgiveness and adoption as sons, the guilt and false guilt that the enemy of our souls pitches at us just runs off like water runs off the back of a duck. We experience the shalom of God. Do you desire to defeat the temptation that dogs you daily? Surrender to God's program and stop trying to do it on your own. God is your deliverer. He has a plan. Want to know about it? Read his word. Read Proverbs to get some ideas on what to do and not to do. Spend some time in the first, I don't know, nine chapters of Proverbs and see how the battle plays out between the tempter and wisdom. Flee from people and places and things that corrupt you. Don't go to a place that draws you into sin. That device that allows you great freedom but enslaves you, dump it. It's better to lose it and be at peace than to indulge the flesh and distance yourself from your rescuer. It's a delight to confront the uncomfortable truths about what, we are going, what we're doing, knowing that we have a rescuer who is going to deliver us from that place to a place of overcoming and peace. Another thing that happens is that we're able to speak the truth in love to others because we recognize what the truth is. <coughs> Men before us have done the same. In fact, the creeds and confessions of the church have been written to confront errors cropping up from within and they reveal truth. The Apostles' Creed is one. In fact, it may have been the first one, written probably before the fourth century. There's also the Nicene Creed, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Belgian Confession, of, the London, I mean, we could go on. Those things that we talked about Those main points. Those are the points to remember. Dwelling in truth sets you free. Dabbling in deception enslaves. If you want to, re want to be free, reject deception and dwell in the truth. It's my hope and prayer that each one of us will determine to diligently delight in studying God's word and submit our hearts and our minds to his instructions and will. May we not be proud and springs without water and mist driven by the storm spouting our arrogant words full of error. May we not follow men such as that. As we close, there's a song by Rich Mullins titled Creed. That song is, in fact, the Apostles' Creed. And as we close, I'd like to, I'd like it if we could stand and sing the Apostles' Creed, sing along with it. This is the word, hide these truths in your heart. They've stood the test of time. Where's Carlos? There, there, there was a word that was on there when the song ended. Es un palabra. Aquí después uh, el, el canción, ragamuffin.
It's a ragamuffin up there. It's a real word. <laughs> we'll find one. <laughs> it's, it's, there's um, this thing that used to happen in the church when I was being discipled to minister. Um, sometimes the pastor would not be in the services that I preached in, wouldn't even be in the building. I didn't get offended by it. It was just do what you got to do. As a matter of fact, it's uh, when he explained it to me, it was if I'm there, you would be more conscious of me than being free to do what you're supposed to do. So in his absence, I wouldn't be distracted. Sounds a little weird, but I get it. But one of the things that would encourage me is something called a witness in that I felt led, I followed that leading, I preached or spoke on whatever it was that God called me to preach or speak on, and then the following morning without even knowing what I had preached or spoke on, he would come and preach somewhere along the line of the same thing. It taught me to be receptive, to understand there is only one spirit. And as people follow the leading that God has for their life, you will find that God says something's here, something's here, something's here, and they all correlate into what God is speaking to his people. There are two worlds that we live in, actually one world, one kingdom. It is something that God had brought to my attention as a direction to look at last Tuesday. Mark wasn't here last Tuesday. Nor was he there Thursday when I spoke about this to Anthony and to Deb. And yet, here he is presenting the same theme. There's a world that we live in, but we are not of the world. There is a kingdom that as now being the sons and daughters of God, we are a part of, we have been adopted into. This world is not our home. And in the world there is a spirit of error and in the kingdom there is a spirit of truth. And as long as we walk into this, in this world, as a matter of fact, there was tribulation was brought up that Monday. And tribulation is the, uh, what was the word? It's, it's basically the, the clamor and the ramble and the squeezing and the, the pressure. This world is trying to drown out the spirit of truth and as Christians even though we are presented with all the different things the world is trying to show us in this spirit of air led world and that's all they know we have to hold fast to the spirit of truth to walk by faith and not by sight to walk in what we know is the truth of God despite what the evolution of man is trying to say and to stand firm for what God has called us to stand for until this world is revealed to be what it actually is. These are interesting times, but we have a wonderful opportunity to be the ambassadors for the kingdom. It's not always going to be pleasant. We're not always going to be liked, but we have a truth that is eternal to confront the error that is only here for a moment. I hope that you take all the D's and T's that were presented 
to heart, but ultimately to realize that the world around you is trying to drown out the kingdom that you live in. And it should be the other way around. It should be when that these men and women stand up to speak from the kingdom. Even though they are in the world, they become louder than the world so that men and women see the truth and they can step out of the world into the light and liberty that each and every one of us has been given the opportunity to walk in by the blood of Jesus Christ. Especially us. Because the deeper that we have been brought from darkness, God has given us a light to reveal to those who are still walking in it. I hope you take the charge and realize that the world around you, the world system, is just waiting on the sons and daughters to start speaking the light and truth that God has put on the inside of us. Would you lift your hands for the benediction? Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Let the church say, Amen, and God bless you.